Welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects podcast. Today with myself, Nicholas Blank, and my co-host, Chris Goosen. Hello. Today, Warren can't make the show and we do miss our Warren being on the show. However, Chris and I have been wrestling and debating with the topic of exchange on premises. And Chris, I believe this is quite a contentious issue for customers who don't really know what to believe. You're right. And, and wrestling, I think, is also the, the right way to sort of describe this, right? I think, um, you know, for those folks, I think, listening to this who may not have any idea what we're talking about, um, you know, just some, some, some brief history, I guess, is we've obviously seen exchange on-premises over the last uh, couple of years. There have been some security incidents, vulnerabilities, you know, things like that. Uh, researchers have found things and reported them, and, and, and there have been... Um, you know, these vulnerabilities have been used, I guess, in in uh, in our attacks. Um, the hafnium hafnium, yeah, yep, hafnium hafnium, yep. From last year was is probably a really good example of that. Um, but just recently, and not only that, we also have two current CVEs out, don't we, Chris? Yeah, yeah, there. That's right. There actually are two current CVEs out that I'm not aware have been patched or updated just yet i'm sure um there's guidance but some of it yeah. means that you need to go into iis and change parts and fiddle with things yep yep and so i think you know this this has kind of been the way of things for for a little while um and then i think there was uh a um an article that came out uh i think last week um on wired mm-hmm. um which you know i can't argue with the article and i and i you know, I would, I would, uh, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and I think it's a really good idea for for anyone who's kind of interested in this to um, to go and have a look. Right? It was it was written by Andy Greenberg, who's very well respected in the space, and the article is called uh, "Your Exchange Server is a Security Liability." And at first, you know, strong when I, words, Chris. Strong words, right? And and, strong and I think words. we've we've also gotten used to the fact that whenever something like this happens, the tech press kind of grabs a little hold of a little part of it. And runs with the most clickbaity headlines yes. that they possibly can, right? Um, and 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 so I, I I really did expect that again. But honestly, I mean, I can't I can't fault the article. I think the research that was done is 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 spot on. Um, you know, he talked to people who are really kind of you know very very well respected in 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 the industry and in this field. Um, you know, Kevin Beaumont is listed in there. Um, well respected. If you if you're on Twitter, Gossy the dog, I think is his Twitter handle. He's very amusing with some of the the tweets. But a, again, very well respected. Uh, Marcus Hutchins, I think, was also in, mentioned in the article. Who you may remember is the uh, the researcher who stopped the WannaCry um, mm. uh, outbreak or attack from a few years ago. So, you know, I, I, apart from the use of the word on premise in the article several times, you know, a puppy dies every time you say on premise. Um, I really can't fault uh, the article. I think it's, it's a very well-written article. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it really kind of breaks down the, the reason why perhaps Exchange is aging, right? And if you are running Exchange um, on-prem at the moment, uh, why you really should be considering and thinking about and planning a move to the cloud. And we're not, obviously, we are, um, we work with Microsoft 365 and we make a living from helping customers migrate to to the cloud and to specifically to Microsoft 365 in my instance. But I'm not here to try and sell you something, right? If you don't want to move to Microsoft 365 and you want to move elsewhere because you found another platform that 
can meet those business needs and business requirements for you as securely, then that's great. But I, I think that, you know, we wanted to kind of have this conversation about is on-prem still where you should be, right? And, and also, if you are possibly migrating um, at the moment or you're planning to migrate, like, where do you want to... Where do you want to go with that? Like, what sort of things should you be doing to try and keep yourself um, as secure as possible, if that makes sense? Mm. Chris, I've I've got a customer, um, and I'll just loosely call them a, a customer, and they are in the, um, I'm going to say the highly regulated space. And within that regulated space, they have a requirement to not put data in the cloud if it meets a, a particular classification. Mm. So... That means that we are designing both SharePoint and on-premises infrastructures for customers who feel that they cannot go to cloud because whatever reason, and it could be a, a, regulator, a regulatory reason, and those things are still out there, right? Where customers are precluded either by law or an, an internal or an external regulation that say that they may not go to cloud. So the options for those customers, well, ideally, they've got Active Directory. Well, who doesn't have Active Directory and, and mm -hmm. achieves some kind of meaningful authentication and management at scale. So that's Active Directory. Then you're running Windows. If you're running Linux in the enterprise or if you're running Mac in the enterprise and you're managing to manage that without an enterprise directory like Active Directory, then good on you. you you're the exception. So if you've got Active Directory, that means you tend to have exchange on premises as well because few things work as well as exchange. However, to counterbalance that, since we've got these highly regulated customers, these customers would potentially be the same kind of customers as or targets um, that are called out in the, the, the Wired article. And... Uh, if I can call a spade a spade, there are nation states that are actively hunting for on-premises vulnerabilities. The mm -hmm. FBI also called out in the well-written wide article calls out that we have all these uh, plethora of, of vulnerabilities or and not that we have many vulnerabilities. We've got all these organizations that are sitting on premises and those, mm -hmm. those could be hybrid servers that could be exchange servers still, still hosting data that are vulnerable and they keep on being vulnerable. I put out a, a tweet a few days ago and put the same on LinkedIn around that one of the, the pieces of guidance that we have, for example, to minimize the fallout from the current CVEs is to take away PowerShell admin or PowerShell access from non-administrators. Well, we should be doing that anyway. And uh, Chris, you and I, before this, had a discussion around zero trust and how do we mature customers mm -hmm. and where do customers go? And some of this stuff smacks to me like good housekeeping. And good housekeeping mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that you do when you run an on-premises exchange. And even though in online estates, there are things that are obviously being done for you. You don't patch, you don't back up, that type of thing. However, there's still good housekeeping. So that, the thing about PowerShell, for example, we shouldn't have non-admin PowerShell for our users, right? Online or on-premises. So where do we go with this? And 
I don't think there's necessarily an, an easy answer besides the fact that on-premises right now is a massive target. The world is looking at this going, well, um, clearly this is a problem. But then let me ask you, Chris, hmm. what are you telling your customers? What are the alternatives to Microsoft Exchange? It, it's a it's a good question. It's a very valid question. And it is a very difficult question to answer, right? Because when we talk... When we talk to customers today who feel like they have to remain on-prem or remain in a hybrid state of some sort permanently, mm. um, I think it's important first to understand the perceived reasoning around that, right? Now, obviously, if it's a regulatory or legislative reason, there's really not a lot of arguing that, right? It, it's, yeah. it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. The benefit of of something like that is that you're not alone. You're not in, you know, the boat by yourself. There are other mm -hmm. organizations likely who come under that same regulation or, or legislative, you know, uh, uh, sort of enforcement. And you'd want to see what they're doing as well, right? Because someone, I mean, it, it, it's not a problem that you have to solve by yourself, but it is under, it is important to to make sure that your interpretation of these things are is accurate and correct, that you're not interpreting uh, some sort of, regulatory or legislative requirement as one thing when it really isn't right um and, and i you know I, I remember seeing this in in the um the very sort of early days of um office 365 adoption here in australia is that you know certain certain of the government agencies would interpret some legislation as as one thing and it, it really wasn't now i'm not a lawyer either right and mm. and, and neither mm. of us are unless you've got a law degree overnight that I didn't know about. Um, and I and so it's hard for, for me to speculate on some of the things as well, but it is, it, it's a good idea to make sure that you understand and that your interpretation of these things is, is accurate mm. to begin with, right? And that they're whole true. Um, I think there are a lot of- If I can make a point there, Chris, yeah. I think being compliant is easier than um, abiding by the law because if I pick on a- uh, if I pick on NIST, for example, or CIS, I have a control that is rather absolute. Even mm -hmm. ISO 27001 uh, updated to 2022 has got some very clear controls that I can measure. Law, we need to interpret, and it's mm -hmm. in the eye of the beholder. Yep. And that's why I think it's really good to not make that decision in a vacuum, right? Understand mm -hmm. what it what it's trying to do and see what you can do that, you know, to 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 be able to kind of abide with it, but also try and be as secure as you can be, right? I do think that there are a large uh, number of organizations out there that believe they need to be on-premises for one reason or another that that isn't regulatory or, or legislative, right? Um, and that there are misperceptions around what they think they need. And again, I think that's where, you know, that's the type of, those are the types of organizations oftentimes that we speak to, right? And that's the type of work that we do is help them understand what they actually need, right? That that whole sort of uh, exercise of, of requirement solicitation that we always jump jump down to or get to, mm. right? Is, mm. is understand what you actually need from a business requirement because that's right. This is how we've always done it, and I like the blinky lights of the server room and similar reasons. Those are not good reasons anymore, right? And when you start looking at the risk you're taking um, by keeping these services on premises versus um, you know, the cost or, or, or what have you of moving, the conversation is starting to look a little bit different now. So I think that's really important is firstly is understand whether you actually have a requirement to keep stuff 
um, you know, on-premises. Now, in follow-up to the Wired article, um, Tony Redmond at, at Practical 365 also wrote about this, the Wired article, and, and, and I felt like he, he did a really sort of good job of, of sort of bringing in line the thinking around what our community, sort of exchange community, would have about this, right? It wasn't just jumping on the, the on-premise bandwagon mm, and, mm. and and sort of, uh, you know, and I, I really liked his article and he, he, he made some really, really valid points as Tony often does about why organizations, um, well, why exchanges in the, in the place that it is. Right. And, and one of the reasons is, you know, um, kind of the not patching or not patching as often and, and things like that. And, and absolutely, if you are one of those organizations that insists on having some part of your messaging infrastructure on premises, and by that, I mean, you want to host mailbox data on-premises, right? Mm-hmm. You absolutely have to then do the responsible thing and make sure that you are keeping those systems as up-to-date as possible. Now, with the current state, with the two CVEs that we have out at the moment, obviously, if there's no update for you to run, there's really not a whole lot you can do about that, right? Mm-hmm. But it is still worth, as soon as something drops and Microsoft does it, um, that you... That you uh, you apply those updates. I often um, talk to customers who won't even give me access to the environment because it's not secure to give a vendor access to the environment, right? But then when you look at the versions of the OS and the exchange builds that they're running, they're many months or sometimes years out of date. Well, Mm. you can't pick and choose when you're going to be secure and when you're not, right? I'm all for you being secure and not wanting to grant a vendor access to your environment, but then you also need to be secure in the way that you patch and maintain and do general housekeeping in your, in your environment because I think that's just as important. So I'd like to um, to offer counterbalance to what you said, Chris. And we, as I mentioned, we were talking about zero trust earlier and the kind of process that you wrestle with your customers and well, we, we're both customer facing and we, we both consult in the enterprise space. And we are uh, we used to be exchange architects, but effectively we are enterprise architects and our focus is on cloud and cloud principles. So if we apply modern thinking to everything that our customers have, that includes on-premises and that includes cloud, and where do we begin? And we need some kind of a defense doctrine that allows us to begin this process. Chris, you rightly said earlier that you use uh, a standard for hardening, but you use another set of guiding principles. And those guiding principles, and that's what they are really, is principles, not a framework, is zero trust. Now, the reason why we've adopted Zero Trust as an industry, every vendor has got a a Zero Trust story. We had Kemp talk about Zero Trust networking, which is one of the the, um, eight or so pillars of Zero Trust that we can call out. One of the things we do within Zero Trust, of course, is network segmentation, both internally and externally. The reason is because, well, we don't trust anything. It's the point of Zero Trust. So if, if I look at what Zero Trust says out of the box, it says verify explicitly used a least privilege access and assume breach. And if we're assuming breach, that also means, and the, the, the principle here talks about minimizing our blast radius. So if I minimize my blast radius, that means I will be attacked. And just because I'm in cloud doesn't mean I'm not going to be attacked. If I'm on premises, I'm not going to be attacked. And so 
the pragmatic view for me around this, if I apply the zero trust lens, is that, well, yes, we've got vulnerabilities. And those at least are vulnerabilities that we know about. We have got vulnerabilities in cloud as well. Those come out from time to time. And there was that damning article from a, oh, no, encryption is worthless in cloud that we can talk about in, in a second. But if I'm assuming breach, it also means that I can recover quickly because that's the other part of Zero Trust is that if I assume breach, I look for breach, but then I also I'm able to recover quickly. And even though we've got uh, these, these uh, very public breaches from the folks at Lapsus who are at it again and being arrested again and then doing other stuff and, and they make the news as, as only bolshy teenagers can go out there and, and hack things and tell the whole world because it adds to, to teenage kudos. We also have these organs of state, so to speak, or, or state-sponsored actors with virtually limitless resources who hack our customers who are looking for breach. And so while I would argue, well, that fits into our zero trust worldview because it's zero trust, we're assuming breach. So that means we're looking for breach and ideally we are able to defend against breach. Now in the Wired article, it talks to two current CVEs. Microsoft has got guidance around the CVEs that allows you to do something about that, to recover from breach and to minimize your blast radius. So I'd like to offer this counter position, Chris, is that because we are in a zero trust world and if we're in a data center or if we're in cloud, we treat every device and every user as untrusted. We verify them explicitly on every access, on every action. Are things really as bad as they seem if we use a modern security methodology to apply our lens to this problem? It's a good question. Um, I think I think you have to ask yourself also is is now you know. 100% agreeing on the zero trust thing, but zero trust is that it is a journey, right? As we often say, mm. and not everyone is in the same place on that journey. Not everyone has the same level of maturity across um, how they manage the devices, how they manage that external access, how they manage um, even user identities, right? And I think that's part of the problem is that if we were, if everyone was applying and adopting these principles at the same rate, then there would be a, mm. a single answer to how we would defend against some of these things, right? But I think, and then on top of that, you take the fact that maybe you're running, you know, um, something like Exchange, which realistically, architecturally was was built in 2007, right? Um, and, and, you know, as Tony says in his article, right, mm. Exchange was never designed to withstand the threats and the types of attacks that we are seeing True. today, right? And it, it is... It's happening. I mean, here in Australia, we've we've had you know one of our big telcos, Optus, um, got breached a couple of months ago. Um, Medicare, uh, Medicare Private, uh, which is you know sort of a healthcare provider, um, which is seems to be you know by by the look of it at the moment even worse than the Optus breach, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a, a recent one because um, I mean that's just not pers not just personal information. That's actual medical claims and medical mm. information for patients. That is is now out there, um, and then and there's like four or five others that I haven't even mentioned because I can't even remember them, right? Uh, that that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, so this is it's happening a lot. It's happening thick and fast. And I think what what needs to happen here is 
um, everyone needs to kind of take a look at their their current sort of stance on things and go, like, are we are we ready? Are we prepared? Right? Because the whole like this won't happen to us. That's not true. It now at this point in time, it's it's a matter of time, and it is a matter of when will this happen to us, mm. right? And and are we ready to respond? Do we have mechanisms in place to be able to respond to these types of things, or do we have mechanisms in place to even try and detect when these types of things are happening, right? Because I would I would venture to say for a lot of organizations, the answer to that is is no, right? And head in the sand doesn't doesn't cut it, and it it's very scary, but it is the reality of where we are now in 2022. That's quite a. Uh... <sighs> A blunt statement you just made there, Chris, about head in the sand. And you're talking about maturity, but in the same breath, you're also talking about organizations with a head in the sand type of um, security posture, if I can call it that. Mm -hmm. And how, let me ask you, how can you make such a bold public facing statement about head in the sand, which implies an incredibly mature, immature, secure uh, what am I trying to say? A head in the sand type of mentality means that you are immature or maybe zero rated in terms of your security posture. I, I so I agree, but I also think that again, I think folks are folks are um, they're doing the things that they've always done, right? And yeah. I think that really one of the problems we're having here is that the 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 threats and the bad actors are maturing significantly quicker than yes the organization that is defending them right and i think that's that's part of the problem here is that um now, now what is the solution right is the solution go out and just buy every product that every vendor is offering you no i don't believe that is the solution at all mm. right mm. um I, I i do think though that the cycles of how you evaluate uh your posture how often you're looking at um your maturity models, all of those things. I think mm. those things are important. And I think that those things now need to decrease because you can no longer look at things yearly and go, you know what, we were defend we were able to defend against this stuff last year and now we'll be good for another year. Because it's let's true. be honest, it's not it that doesn't work anymore, right? And that's what I meant, right? Is you can't just blindly continue to do what you've always done. Because yes, maybe what you've always done has helped you until now. But I think that it's important for everyone to kind of look at things now and go, look, things are changing, things are evolving, and we need to also evolve the way we look at our, our security, right? And from an exchange perspective specifically, again, if you don't need mailboxes on premises, um, you don't need a hybrid server in your environment, right? Because I think what we what we often find is is consultants come in, help organizations do that the, the migration and, and migrate mailboxes into the cloud. But then that hybrid server, that, that server that's been configured stays behind and is, is uh -huh. because it's an easy way to, to, um, to do management and it's an easy way to do all these things. Well, I think that we really should be looking at how do we, like you said, reduce that attack surface now with uh -huh. those servers, uh -huh. right? I don't, I'm not saying uh -huh. get rid of your, um, your last server, uh, your last exchange server environment, um, you know, there, there may be cases where you would want to do that, right? I think Steve Goodman has done a great job of yes. uh, building a tool that helps you now do the management of um, those exchange attributes, uh, uh, you know, on, on your user objects. So if you really wanted to, um, you know, there are solutions that that can, can help you through that. And, you know, I think there are lots of other ways to do it. Are they all 100% supported by Microsoft? That's probably a questionable, questionable uh, 
statement um, or that is probably questionable, but there are ways that you can do this, right? But I think for bare functionality, you just need an exchange server in your environment. And I actually was having a conversation uh, with a customer about this today, uh, a couple of hours before we, we recorded this, because you know we're looking at sort of end states after migration transition um, transitions and and really, you know, hybrid to me is is once you've migrated your data and you don't need um, data on premises anymore, you really don't need that hybrid server anymore, mm -hmm. right? To decommission the hybrid connectivity, um, keep the server, and you can have your your management sort of interface if you want, but but remove the publishing rules, get rid of internet facing services uh, on Exchange. There should be nothing on. I mean, you know, port twenty five because you you might want Mailflow. But uh, you don't need, and, and even that, if you're going to be opening up Mailflow to Exchange Online, you want to limit it and lock it down to, to Microsoft's uh, um, IP ranges, right? You don't mm. want to just have that server be accepting connectivity from anywhere, connections from anywhere. So there are things you can do to try and harden what you have, right? Whilst you, through this process, if you are still actively migrating, well, you know, you, 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 you don't really have a lot of option there. You need to keep that server in place so that you can migrate your data. But think about what you're going to do after because mm. many times, and I think, you know, there used to be this, and we, I'm sure we've, we've joked about this before, right? Back in the in the good old days when we used to do uh, domino migrations to, uh, <laughs> to exchange and even to the cloud, right? Um, you go in, you do the exchange migration and, and, and you're done, but the domino apps live on and those things stay forever. Right. Yes. And many years later, you speak to that same customer again, and they've still got Domino because they still have those Domino apps, right? You haven't quite finished that project. Well, the hybrid project uh, in your exchange migration, it's not quite finished until you actually decommission hybrid um, and, you, and you remove that sort of external internet facing connectivity. That's my my sort of opinion here. If, if you're in this position, right? Um, if you do have to keep things uh, you do need to keep hybrid connectivity. You do need to keep Exchange published to the internet um, for whatever reason. Um, you want to be updating that every update, every time, right? It, uh, yes, it's a pain. Yes, Exchange updates are not easy. Um, they, they are time consuming. You're going to have to do it after hours when no one's connecting to that server, but you have to do it. There's no such thing. You can't skip updates. You can't, you know, it is what it is. That's It's, it's part, part of the, the pain. Yep, it's part of the responsibility you take on and you assume when you decide to host your own exchange, right? And I've heard some very interesting stories about customers hosting their own exchange in private cloud now, IaaS, like building exchange servers in there. Like, I just don't understand why you would do that. Uh, I really don't. Besides the expense, right? And right. if I think about exchange alternatives, particularly in the on-premises, since we're talking alternatives, in cloud, I guess you could go, you could go G Suite, and right. uh, I don't know how secure that is. On premises, you could do things like Zimbra, and there are still hosted Zimbra instances out there. And there are in the open source and semi-open source world, there are these alternate messaging systems. To be fair, you can still run Pop and IMAP. You know, there's millions of mailboxes that are doing that. But you know, we're talking about Exchange, and yes, it's difficult and it's cumbersome. Um, to be fair, though, Exchange 2019 allows us to MFA on-premises users, so we have that for external access. And again, we're getting back into zero trust and verify explicitly, right? Mm -hmm. And with Exchange Online and Exchange on-premises, with RBAC and other methods, we've got uh, the uh, the defense of used 
least privileged access because I can I can narrow that down. So let's assume okay, exchange is not for me. I've I'm done. Hands in the air, I'm done. Where do I go, Chris? What's more secure than exchange on premises and even exchange online, which is significantly more secure than exchange on premises? Well, um, yeah, I was going to say if you you know if if you're done with exchange, then you should be looking at exchange online, right? Um, I I'm yet to meet the organization that makes a decision to move away from exchange other than for um, sort of licensing and economic reasons, right? Mm-hmm. If you took the, the licensing, now obviously I understand that that's uh, a very big part of it, but if if you take that away, right? I, I You know, you from time to time you have customers or you see organizations who say, well, I'm looking at, you know, I'm staring down the barrel of a $25 per user per month license cost. I can go to Google and I can get the, the same functionality for, $12, you know what I mean? I can save this money. And and people look at that balance sheet um, mm. calculation and go, yeah, that looks like a bigger deal. Mm. Now, more often than not, six months, 12 months, 18 months later, that same organization is now going back to Exchange uh, and M365 because they've realized that cheaper doesn't always mean better and, and that the loss in productivity and the loss mm. in collaboration functionality and the loss in compliance and security and all these other features is actually worth the extra you know money that they're, they're paying. But then that's what I mean is like, usually that's the conversation, right? I've never met anyone who's um, realistically been in M365 and said, hey, we, we don't need any of this capability and functionality and, and Google just does what we need and, and we're going to do that. Um, I, I haven't come across it. I don't necessarily mean know that that doesn't exist. I'm sure there are organizations that are quite happy working in, in that environment. But the types of customers I work with, I what is the alternative? That is a very good question because I don't have an answer for you. Um, outside of, of M365 and, and Exchange Online, um, what, what is the alternative that provides you know, that isn't multiple solutions bolted together, right? Because if mm. you think about the integration that you get with Teams and SharePoint, um, what would you need to do to replace that? You would need Slack plus WebEx, right? Or something Slack plus Zoom or something like that. Plus, And you mailbox. still need an identity provider because I'm hearing you mention at least two or three identities for every product that you're, you're bolting on. There's an additional identity provider and then... Uh, SSO that you need to do or not, and yeah. MFA that you're going to do or not. Yeah, and and this is a legitimate. This is not you know, um, sort of you know Microsoft Kool Aiding here. This is a legitimate question, right? And if you're listening to the show, uh, and you're driving somewhere or you're flying somewhere, and you're yelling at us because we're missing something very obvious, you know, please reach out to us, Twitter, um, or, or you know, through through our website, our blog, anyway, reach out to us because. We would legitimately love to just have a good conversation about what are the alternatives? What else is the industry doing, right? That mm. that actually legitimately competes with with the productivity and, and, and sort of the functionality that you get for M365. Because I think Microsoft gets gets um gets a lot of bad press whenever something goes wrong. And mm. if you think about the sheer size of Microsoft, the sheer sort of staggering number of, of products and business units and things that they have and they go to market with, right? 
of course they're gonna there's gonna be mistakes made uh, occasionally should they have fixed the uh, you know the the uh current cbes when they were first reported probably but i'm not a developer i don't know what goes into making that code change right mm. um but i also feel like very often they don't get kudos for the innovation in the way that they you know and, and we talked about this on the on the very early days of, of the show we talked about how Macs were no longer second citizens, right? And you yeah. may remember this. I mean, I think this was like 2017-ish where we had this conversation mm. about how, you know, folks that were Mac users were no longer outcasts in the Microsoft world. And then, mm. and I mean, it's only gotten better since then, right? Um, Agreed. So uh, I think very often they don't get kudos. Microsoft is not getting the kudos it deserves for doing things right. And it just gets absolutely slammed for doing things wrong, right? But And I think that's one of the reasons why we thought this is a really good conversation because... Um, maybe it is time for us to to look at look at exchange, and it, you know maybe it is time to say goodbye to exchange on premises, right? Unless you have those very very specific um, use cases, uh, mm. and and you know, and I think another thing, another another product that I, I I would also question that perhaps you need to be saying goodbye to is is ADFS, right? Oh yeah, um, right. Um, if you if you if you're using ADFS today, you know, really ask yourself what is it doing for you that you cannot natively do in Azure AD now, mm-hmm. um, and is it really worth the um, the on-premises investment in 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 infrastructure uh, and support and patching and all of those things, right? Um, I, I and I think that you should be asking yourself this question about a lot of the things that you have in your in your mm-hmm. business more frequently than you probably are today. Mm. I agree with you, Chris, and I've seen customers being attacked through ADFS because we've got different lockout uh, policies than we do in Active Directory. So again, there's a thing there that needs to manage. And I understand that you want a an IDP or an identity provider on-premises so you can do SSO with your, your other enterprise apps. However, we can achieve that in Azure Active Directory. Azure Active Directory is, my gosh, many times exponentially more resilient than what we can achieve on-premises with your own servers. Um, I've seen customers being denial of service on ADFS. You know, Microsoft can survive that really easily. I'd rather give that pain to them. Uh, Completely, completely support your position of evaluate why do you have ADFS Mm on-premises and what function does it serve for you that you want to maintain it on-prem? Yeah, 100%. so I think I, you know, uh, in terms of um, exchange specifically, I think we've we've kind of we've covered that one. I think you know, really, uh, if you're in hybrid and you don't have mailboxes on prem, please just start decommissioning that hybrid. Get get rid of it. Um, you know, if you're still running older versions of Exchange, you know, that's another conversation about you know updating and 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 we actually looked up the end of life on these just before we we came on air mm-hmm. here or recorded because. Um, you know, sometimes it gets a little foggy as to what's in support and what's not support and which combination of things um, are, are supported. But, you know, I think, um, you know, Exchange 2013 uh, still in support. Um, and and how much has changed between that? And I mean, fu- schema wise, right? Nothing's changed since 2016. Mm. So your schema mm. in 2016 is the same as your 2019 schema. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, if you're still running older versions of Windows Server, that's again, that's another... It's another problem, um, and it's a difficult one because, again, mm. 
upgrading the OS isn't as, stream, as straightforward as just upgrading the OS. Oh, right? absolutely. If you already change on it, there's there's a lot there's a lot to it. Mm. So exchange think about, or, or SQL. So I, I'd like to to posit this position, Chris, is that not everyone needs to go to cloud, and I don't believe as a customer-facing consultant, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe in cloud first. I believe in requirements first. And if you have requirements that are being met by on-premises servers, ensure that those requirements are still there and still valid for what those servers do. Now, we spoke to Greg a couple of weeks ago and he said, look, if you've got an MRI scanner attached to a Windows XP or a Server 2003 machine, you're not going to do much about that. However, if you're running ADFS on server 2008 and that's internet facing, there's a bunch you can do about that. Hmm. So I, I don't think there's necessarily an easy answer here. I do think it is a time of reflection and evaluation of why are we doing hmm. what we're doing. And I like what you said earlier about having a quarterly review of your security posture, understanding why you're doing what you're doing and where am I within that zero trust journey, assuming I've even on that journey, mm. as opposed to saying, I, I do security in air quotes, and security means I go out there and I buy best of breed in technology verticals that aren't integrated, but I believe I'm secure, but I actually don't have a methodology that I follow. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's, it's really important, right? And I think that vision should be shared by everyone uh, you know it's like here's what we're doing here's how we're doing it this is what that journey looks like you need to be mm. ma mapping that out there are some great you know um security consultants all over the world right that that um that can help you with this and and you know we've had many of them on the show um you know from from europe and and uh, the us everywhere um if you're you're stuck in this and you're not sure where to go with it or you just need some guidance as to mm. kind of what um where to where to go what which one of these uh, sort of frameworks is 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 worth looking at and and things mm. like that. I mean, that's you know I think there's those are the, the places to start um, because uh, you know we you cannot uh, just mm. rest on this. Um, I like what you said about requirements first, right? But I think in order for that to work, you must have security requirements in Agreed. that list, right? Agreed. There has to be and 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 a lot of a lot of the times businesses don't think like that because. Mm historically we never had to think like that right historically we we just assumed that one we would never be targeted or it just doesn't happen to us or we don't have anything important enough for someone to come after right and and the reality is now is that they don't you know bad actors don't necessarily care what you have and what you don't have right mm. it, it, you know in and in many instances um if you think about this whole ransomware as a service model these days you know mm. i mean the, the person breaching you is not necessarily even the person that's deploying the malware right, they're, right. They're, they're buying the the access into your environment you're just another environment that was breached and your mm. your name is on a list somewhere that someone else can purchase um so it's not True always as, it's not as personal as as a lot of people think it is right i mm. i remember having this conversation with with a, a potential customer um, a few years ago uh, when I was in, in, in the US and they said, well, we're really not all that interesting, right? We don't really have anything um, that is interesting enough for someone to come and take. And if yes. they were to get hold of our, you know, financial data or whatever, like, who cares? Like, why should I spend 
why should we spend all this money on this thing when we're really all not all that interesting? Well, again, it's not that personal. Most it's organizations not. don't even know who you are, what you do until, you know, until um, the access has been sold, right? People are making money and just by selling access to your environment. Agreed. And uh, access to your environment means that you no longer have access. And there was a, a wonderful quote mm -hmm. that got uh, put out by, um, by Mark a couple of days ago that said, um, oh, you haven't patched your environment for a few years because you didn't want the downtime. So do you want a breach to provide that downtime for you? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's where, where we need to land this is that mm -hmm. security is now a business requirement. And you as an organization are vulnerable just because you exist, not because you necessarily have a nuclear reactor that's sitting on your, on your network. And the opportunity cost, as Chris mentioned earlier, for you to take a, a wait and see or a not important enough model, short of guarantees, some kind of a disruption to your business in the future, be that large, be that small. However, we don't get into our cars and drive without a defensive posture. So we shouldn't be doing IT without some kind of a defensive posture that we evaluate. Mm. Yeah, well said, uh, Nick. And I think for anyone who's kind of interested in some of the things we've talked about on this, as far as exchange goes, uh, you know, current CVEs, um, we'll post mm -hmm. the guidance from Microsoft uh, in the show notes. Uh, I'll also link to Tony's um, really awesome article on Practical 365. Uh, it's uh, it's called, Is It Really Time to Say Goodbye to yeah. On-Premises Exchange? Um, I'll post that because I, I really think Tony makes some really, really good points there. And mm. um uh, also, the Wired, the original Wired article, I think that has gotten everyone talking about this. So um, we'll link to all of these in, in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, from us until next time, thank you for listening and, and um, you know, do what you can to, uh, to, to stay secure and stay safe. It's, uh, you know, it's a jungle out there. Yeah. I, I was going to mention we do publish on YouTube as well. And YouTube, of course, is a that place where you can have a robust argument in terms of comments. So if you, you don't want to, to do it on the Twitter, do it on the YouTube and we'll meet you wherever you're at. And we would be delighted to have that conversation with you. Cool. Thank you for your time today, Chris. It's been a great show again, as usual. Yeah, thanks. Always good to hang up, uh, hang out, catch up and hang out. And on that note, folks, have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next show. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.